I do that to remind us all we ain't always been here. It's like that that turtle on top of the fence post. He didn't get there by himself. Think about that for a minute. Amen. And none of us got here by ourselves tonight, but for the grace of God, and I'm grateful for that. Matthew chapter 2, and we'll begin reading tonight in verse number 13, and I'll read down through verse 23 tonight. We're preaching through the life of, uh, through the life of Christ, His birth in chronological order. We was with the wise men on Sunday morning in the earlier part of this chapter. And I'm going to be honest with you, the second half of this chapter, I've been in church, I would say my whole life, but I ain't dead yet. But I've been in church all my life up until this point, and I've only heard one sermon out of these verses before. And uh, so this will make two, but uh, I want to look at these verses tonight and uh, see if the Lord will help us. Amen. Glad I'm saved. Boy, I love this place, don't you? And uh, I'm looking forward to 24. Amen. Verse number 13, and when they were departed, speaking of the wise men, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream, saying, Arise, and take the young child. Um, Sattler, if you don't quit messing with this thing. I'm glad we ain't live streaming. All right, get done with that, Amen. Laugh, we ain't home yet. All right. So, well, I mean, it's aggravating you like it's aggravating me, and that's what all y'all wanted to do with it, all right? But don't worry, I got another clock right here, okay? Let's start over. Verse 13. And when they were departed, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream, saying, Arise, take the young child and his mother, and flee into Egypt, and be thou there until I bring thee word. For Herod will seek the young child. To destroy him. And when he arose, he took the young child and his mother by night and departed into Egypt. The Bible says in verse number 15, and was there until the days of Herod that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken of the Lord by the prophet, saying, Out of Egypt have I called my son. Then Herod, when he saw that he was mocked of the wise men, was exceeding. Roth and sent forth and slew all the children that were in Bethlehem and all the coast thereof from two years old and under, according to the time which he had diligently inquired of the wise men. Then was fulfilled that which was spoken by the, Jeremy the prophet, saying, And Ramah was their voice heard of lamentation and weeping and a great mourning. Rachel weeping for her children and would not be comforted because they are not. But when Herod was dead, behold, the angel of the Lord appeareth in a dream to Joseph in Egypt, saying, Arise, and take the young child and his mother, and go into the land of Israel, for they are dead which sought the young child's life. And he arose and took the young child and his mother, and came into the land of Israel. But when he had heard the Oculus did reign in Judea in the room of his father Herod, he was afraid to go thither. Notwithstanding being warned of God in the dream, he turned aside into the parts of Galilee. And he came and dwelt in the city called Nazareth, that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by the prophets, he shall be called a Nazarene. Forgive me for throwing that clock. That wasn't the right attitude. That was the flesh, so forgive me for doing that. In these verses what we're looking at tonight, verse number 13 opens up with a little phrase, and when they were departed. Looking back in verse number 12, we note that God warned these wise men of Herod's evil intentions to destroy the Christ child. 
And so God led them to depart into their own country another way, meaning they did not take the same route that they did before. There is a word that is mentioned three times in these ten verses we have read tonight that I want to use, and it is the word fulfilled. It is found in verse number 15, in verse number 17, and in verse number 23. And they all had to do with prophecies, and many of them had to do with locations of prophecy. Of course, we know that the prophecy was fulfilled with Bethlehem. The second prophecy has to do with Egypt in verse 15. Ramah in verse number 17 and 18, and then Nazareth in verse number 23. And so here's what I want to deal with tonight. I want to deal with that word fulfilled, that it, that it might be fulfilled. And what do we learn from these verses? I mean, these are verses that you don't hear preached much, you don't hear talked about much, uh, that it doesn't seem like there's a lot of application or a lot of, uh, a lot of preaching material out of these verses. But I'll tell you what these verses show us tonight. They show us that God keeps his word. They show us that not one word in this Bible fails. Amen. I'm glad that every word of God is pure and he is a shield in them that put their trust in them. I'm glad tonight that we have a Bible that is preserved to all generations. Forever, O oh Lord, thy word is settled in heaven. And here's the premise of these verses tonight. If God said it, if God declared it, then you can take it to the bank that God will keep his word. I don't know about you tonight. I'm glad God's not a liar. God's not a man that he should lie, but he tells the truth. Amen. It may take him five to six hundred years to fulfill that word, but God keeps his word, and I'm grateful for that tonight. How do we get help for this out of our lives? Well, God has given us promises in his word. We understand that we have to rightly divide the word and study the word contextually. Obviously, we can't claim the promise that Joshua and Israel got in Joshua 1 where he said, every foot, every step that your foot taketh, God, I'm going to give you that land. That don't work now. You just can't walk around and say, this is my land, all right? You can do that, but you'll end up at Broughton. Somebody help me, all right? Uh, so that is, that is not a promise that applies to us. Uh, but we do have promises that he'll never leave us and he'll never forsake us. And we do have promises that he'll be a friend uh, that'll stick closer than a brother and we do have promises uh, that his grace will be sufficient and we have promises that he's not willing that any should perish uh, but that all should come to repentance. I'm glad tonight for the promises of God and that God keeps his word. Let's look at these verses tonight with that thought in mind. First of all, there is the specific instructions in verses 13 through 15. The angel of the Lord here. This is not always Jesus Christ in the Old Testament. It would be a Christophany, which is a pre-incarnate visit of the Lord Jesus. But obviously, the Lord Jesus is already on earth in that little baby, all right? He's that toddler. So who is this angel of the Lord here? He is an angel of the Lord, literally. He is an angel that is commissioned by the Lord. Most likely, this is Gabriel again. This is Gabriel showing up uh, to Joseph giving him instructions. There's a divine command in verse number 13. Joseph had his heart and his mind open to God. I, I want to encourage you tonight about the promises of God and the word of God to keep your heart and your mind open to the scriptures. Amen. Don't turn it off and say well I've heard that before or I don't need that sermon or I don't need that scripture. I tell you God will use things 
in our life and His Word uh, that we may not think is important, that we may not think has any uh, uh, application in our lives, but God will use His Word in various ways. Joseph had an open ear to heaven. Do you have an ear to hear what the Spirit says to the church as he did in the book of the Revelation? He, he had a divine command. Even in this text, here's why the Lord is doing this. In verse number 13, he said, Go to Egypt, flee in Egypt, and be thou there until I bring thee word, for Herod will seek the young child to destroy him. I love this. Even when evil was plotting, God was providential. The word providence means to provide in advance. God was stepping ahead. God was ahead of the situation. And I tell you, we all have uh, God's blessings in 23. I mean, it's not always been a, an easy year, no doubt. Uh, you've had trials and difficulties, but you can remember the fact that God's been faithful and God's been good and God took every step before you. By the way, He's already in 24 and there's things out there we've not seen yet, not experienced yet, but God is faithful and God is good and God is still in control tonight. And I'm grateful for that promise. Divine command. Verse 14, the direct compliance. I love this about Joseph. He gets a word from the Lord and he obeys it. He gets a word from God and he obeys what the Lord told him to do. God sent him to Egypt. Joseph did not delay in obedience. Can I ask you a question tonight? Has God told you to do something that you've not obeyed him about? You know, delaying obedience is very dangerous. Think about Noah. Had Noah delayed in obeying God about getting in the ark, he'd have drowned with everybody else. Elijah, God told him to go down to the brook Cherith and then go to the widow's house. And if he had delayed in obedience, he'd have starved to death with everybody else in Israel. Delayed obedience is just as bad as complete disobedience. But Joseph was a man that was obedient. There is a divine command, the direct compliance. But then the displayed commitment, verse 15, and was there until the death of Herod, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken of the Lord by the prophet, saying, Out of Egypt have I called my son. Hastily he packed his bags and set his little family out along the path to Egypt. God plans to bless Egypt during the millennial reign for sheltering his son, according to Isaiah 19, 23, or Isaiah 19, 23 through 25. Often in the word of God, Egypt is a type and a picture of the world. But God is not a debtor to any man. And God is going to bless Egypt during that millennial reign because they were a safe haven for his son in those difficult days. You don't hear that preached, but that's the word of God. We find here that Joseph... Think about this in verse number 15, that it might be fulfilled, which is spoken by the Lord, uh, by uh, the Lord by the prophet saying, Out of Egypt have I called my son. That is a reference to Hosea 11 1. Now, most Bible commentaries agree Joseph don't know about that verse. Joseph don't know about that prophecy because that verse is speaking about Israel in its context. But you, and we'll say more about this, but many of those Old Testament prophecies had dual application. It had a present application, but then it had a future application. Joseph don't know about that. Somebody said, preacher, what are you trying to say? Joseph was obedient even when he didn't understand God. He don't understand why God wants him to go to Egypt. He don't, and why Egypt? Why can't I go to Galilee? Why can't I go back to Nazareth? Why can't I go here? Why? Joseph was obedient. You know why? Because Herod didn't have jurisdiction in Egypt. You see, you've got to be obedient even when you, under, you don't understand what God's asking you to do. 
had Joseph said, well, I need you to explain this to me. And I'm glad sometimes God will lay things out, but he don't always do it that way. Brother Milton Taylor said the will of God is like the headlights on your vehicle. The headlights on your vehicle don't shine 10 miles down the road. It just shines 20 feet in front of you because that's all you need to know. And the further you go, the more you'll see. Don't expect God to lay everything out in your life for you to see from now to the death, to, to, you, to, the, to the graveyard, friend. It'd scare you to death. But if you'll go step by step, obedience day after day. Hey, live for God on Thursday. When Thursday ends, live for God on Friday. Hey, when Friday ends, live for God on Saturday and so on and so forth. But live for God every day in a life of obedience. There is the specific instruction. Verse 16, there is the seen indignation. Then Herod, when he saw he was mocked with the wise men, was exceeding wroth, and sent forth and slew all the children that were in Bethlehem and in all the coasts thereof from two years old and under, according to the time which he had diligently inquired of the wise men. Now this name Herod is not his name. It is a title like Pharaoh was. If you read through the Gospels, reading the book of Acts, you see several Herods. Herod Antipas, Herod the Great in this text, Herod Oculus in verse 22 of our text. Herod was a, was a title. This Herod the Great was not called Herod the Great because he was like Tony the Tiger. He was a very, very wicked man. Uh, I'm, I, just, I was reading things yesterday that just appalling of how he tortured people and uh, his soldiers hated working for him and uh, he killed spouses, killed children. He's a very uh, lustful and vicious man. He was fooled in verse 16. He saw he was mocked with the wise men. That word mocked means to be deceived. They did not tell him. He expected the wise men to come back and report. He was mocked. He was furious in verse 16. He was exceeding wroth and sent forth and slew all the children that were in Bethlehem and in all the coasts thereof from two years old and under according to the time which he had diligently acquired of the wise men. Upon realizing he had been deceived by the wise men, he commanded that all the babies in that region under the age of two years old and under be killed. I read just before service there's an estimated 144,000 children died. I read one man said he believed that those 144,000 children would be the 144,000 prophets in the book of the Revelation. Only problem with that is 144,000 males. And the text says they killed 144,000 children. It sounds cool, but he killed boys and girls in the text. He wasn't just killing the boys. He killed all the children according to this text. 144,000. Don't let that number just run by you. 144,000 mamas had their babies ripped out of their arms and killed in front of them. A furious man. You know why he done all that? He was, he was fooled, he was furious, but he was a fearful man. Verse 3 of our text, when Herod had heard these things, that there had been a child born king of the Jews, the Bible said he was troubled. You know why he was troubled? He knew he was fixing to lose his job. I'm going to tell you, being fearful is not spiritual. This man being fearful led to him being wicked. That's why the Bible said God has not given us a spirit of fear, but a power and a love and of a sound mind. When you get fearful, you ain't loving right. Amen. You don't have any power and you're not thinking right. That's what Herod did in this text. That's why fear is such a dangerous thing in the life of the believer. What time I'm afraid, I will trust in thee, is what the psalmist said. The scene indignation. Verse 17 and 18. The sorrow illustrated. Now, I'll be honest with you. I had more trouble 
Brother Richie, with these two verses right here than anything. I had the whole outline done. I got home today. I said, I got to figure out verse, verse 17 and 18 are talking about. Let's, let's read them. Then was fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophet Jeremy. That's Jeremiah. The, Jeremy the prophet saying, In Ramah there was a voice heard lamentation and weeping and a great mourning. Rachel weeping for her children, and they would not be comforted because they are not. You know I have to give it to you in an outline form. I have some of my mind. There's a written prophecy in verse 17. This is referring back to what Jeremiah the prophet had wrote. Jeremy the prophet. 600 years before this text, Jer Jeremiah had wrote this. There is the weeping people in verse 18. In Ramah there was a voice heard a lamentation, weeping, great mourning, Rachel weeping for her children and would not be comforted because they are not. Let me identify two things, Ramah and Rachel. Ramah. Ramah was a village, a small village about five or six miles north of Jerusalem. It was a high-raised place. That's what Ramah means. And during the captivity, Jeremiah, y'all still with me? During the, during the Babylonian captivity, they were coming in and taking Daniel and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and they were taking them out of Israel into Babylon. Ramah was the processing village. It bordered the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom of Israel. Ramah's right on the border. So here's what would happen. They'd go to the northern kingdom and get them boys and them young ladies and bring them down. And they'd go to the southern kingdom and bring them up to Ramah. And you know what them people in Ramah watched? They watched all their children be taken into Babylonian captivity. What does Rachel mean? Rachel was the mother of Joseph. Joseph was the father of a boy named Ephraim. Ephraim represented the northern kingdom. But then Rachel also had another son. Remember his name? Benjamin. He was in the southern kingdom. So Rachel represents Israel in this text, being the mother of the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom. What's she doing? She's weeping because she's watching her children be carried away. There is the written prophecy, the weeping people. But there is a wonderful promise in this. See, are y'all women? I, I don't want to bore you. Jeremiah 31 is the quotation of this text. Jeremiah 31, 15. Thus saith the Lord, a voice was heard in Ramah, lamentation and bitter weeping. Rachel weeping for her children, refused to be comforted for her children because they were not. What was going on in the primary, remember there's a dual, dual prophecy? Jeremiah is preaching. He's saying, when those Babylonians come in, they're going to come to Ramah, and Israel's going to weep watching their children be taken away. But then that second, that second prophecy, that future tense, was of this context here in Matthew 2. But here's the wonderful promise. This wonderful promise deals with their weeping. By the way, Rachel is still weeping. Israel is still weeping over her children. The Holocaust lasted from 1933 to 1945 when Nazi Germany came in and persecuted the Jews and had the concentration camps. I read that they estimated 1.5 million children were killed. Jewish children were killed in that 12-year span. That's an average of they were killing 342 children a day for 12 years. And Rachel wept. Then, does this sound familiar? October the 7th of 2023. Hamas entered Israel and began to kill. 
And I had, since October the 7th, 5,500 children have been killed in Israel. That's an average of a child being killed in Gaza every 10 minutes. And Rachel is still weeping. This, this prophecy right here, I don't believe I'm doing harm to the scripture, but I still believe that Rachel representing Israel speaks of the suffering that the children of Israel, literally the children of Israel, have suffered all their, all their existence. But you, somebody said, Preacher, you said there's a wonderful promise in this. Yes, because Jeremiah's prophecy doesn't end in verse 15. Here's what Jeremiah says in Jeremiah 31, 16. Thus saith the Lord, he's talking to Rachel, Refrain thy voice from weeping and thine eyes from tears, for thy work shall be rewarded, saith the Lord, and they shall come again from the land of the enemy. And there is hope in thine end, saith the Lord, that thy children shall come again to their own border. Now, the primary interpretation was Jeremiah was saying, all those children won't die in Babylon, they're going to make it back. Oh, but there's a future application. Yes, Israel has lost millions of children due to persecution. But have you ever read those millennial rain passages and notice how often the children are mentioned? How that children is going to lead that young lion and how that infant is going to play on the hole of that ass, that, that, that serpent den. What is it God's going to do? God's going to wipe Rachel's tears away one day. Rachel's not going to weep any longer. She's been weeping ever since those children begin to die. Y'all picking up what I'm laying down? Israel's been suffering so much. Oh, but thank God there is coming a day when God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes and there shall be no more death neither sorrow nor crying no more pain I believe God has a great big old handkerchief and he's going to walk over to Rachel he's going to dry her tears away and she'll no longer weep for her children what a wonderful promise by the way those prophecies came true and Jeremiah's prophecy will be fulfilled thank God there's coming a day when he'll wipe all those tears away from their eyes and then in closing tonight, there's the sovereign intervention, verses 19 through 23. There's the death of Herod in verse 19. I love this. But when Herod was dead. You know, there's been a lot of people that's come against God and come against Jesus Christ and against the gospel. The Hitlers, the Stalins, the Husseins, the communists, ISIS, Hamas, liberals. They've come after the Lord Jesus, but they've all had one thing in common. They've died. And the name of Jesus Christ lives on. But when Herod was dead, behold, the angel Lord appeared to Joseph in a, in a dream to Joseph in Egypt. There's the directions that were heeded. Verses 20 through 21. Arise, take the young child and his mother and go in the land of Israel. For they are dead which sought the young child's life. And he arose and took the young child and his mother and came into the land of Israel. Oh my goodness, there is so much prophecy in that because what's going to happen Jesus is not in Israel right now he's in another place he's in another land but one day those that hate him will be destroyed and he's going to go back into Israel again he's going back home are y'all picking up what I'm laying down he's going back home 
But he won't be going home as a toddler. He'll be going home as King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And he'll sit on the throne of his father David. And he'll rule and reign for a thousand years. Here's what I'm trying to say. At the end of all this, thank God Jesus wins. Then there is the details of his home. Verses 23. And he came and dwelt in a city called Nazareth. That it might be fulfilled which was spoken by the prophets. He shall be called a Nazarene. What is this over and what is all? What do these verses teach us tonight? I'm going to tell you what these verses teach us. They're unusual verses. They're verses we don't hear preached much. There's verses we don't hear dealt with much. But I'm going to tell you what they teach us. God keeps his word. Every promise that Christ has ever made has come true. And aren't you glad for that tonight? Aren't you glad he doesn't lie? And I'm glad one day the sorrow, I, I understand, and I'm done. I'm done. We're fixing to go home. I understand there's a lot of, a lot of discussion on the whole Rachel thing and, and, and as far as Rachel weeping and what all that means and all that. I know there's a lot of discussion on that. And I understand Jews have to be saved just like you and I have to be saved and believe in the gospel. Okay, we understand that. But I will tell you this. I'm glad there's coming a day when there'll never be another little child that'll be kidnapped by some demonic person and put into a life of torture. There'll never be a child looking for his mama again. There'll never be another child that'll be abused or treated bad. That's the context of children. Why? Because there's a king. I'm done. In Ramah, that Ramah, it was a burying place. That's where, they, that's where he buried Rachel. Ramah's just north of Bethlehem, that, that region. And up until that point, Bethlehem had been known as a burial place. But how many times have you heard Bethlehem referred to as a, a graveyard? You don't hear that. You know why? Because where life came into the world. We don't think of Bethlehem as a burial ground. We think of it as a birthing place. You know why we think about it that way? Because Jesus has, has a way of changing things. Aren't you glad for that tonight? Let's stand.